everybody. Uh, welcome to Encounter. If we haven't met, like Malia said, my name's Joe, and I get to work here, and uh, sometimes I get to speak at Encounter, which is super fun. Uh, last week, we talked about the first main section of James. Our lead campus minister, Ben Geiger, did a great job, so uh, go back and listen to that. Uh, you can find it where you get your podcasts. Look up Christian Student Fellowship at IU. Uh, he talked about trials and the hope we can have in the middle of those. Uh, this week, I get to talk to you guys about temptation, which is so fun, right? Everybody loves that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, but before we get started, something I like to do, uh, if you guys would take a second, pray silently, that the Holy Spirit would use me and my words to, uh, like Malia said, saturate the hearts of the people in this room, that'd be great. So you pray silently, and then I'll bring us back together with a group prayer. Dear Jesus, we thank you for this space that we get to worship and come together around your name. Uh, God, use the words that I've prepared tonight. Um, yeah, may they be your words. Um, yeah, and uh, just help them to land where they need to. Um, God, we thank you, and we praise you. It's in your name I pray, amen. <clears throat> All right, close your eyes again, and rem- imagine with, no, no, just, yeah. Imagine with me that you're 15 years old, 1,000 miles away from home, family and friends, everything familiar, and instead of sleeping in on a summer's morning, it's 5 a.m. and you're surrounded by overachieving cyclists that are determined to drag you along as they ride 136 miles in one day as fast as they possibly can. This is not a CSF cycling story, I promise. They're, they're super nice people, okay? Uh, in high school, I went on a cross-country, you can open your eyes now if you're still closing them, I don't know. Um, in high school, I went on a trip where we did a, it was cy- uh, cycling cross-country. And so uh, there was one day where we were set to go 136 miles, and uh, that was the longest that I'd ever gone up to that point. And uh, at the start of the day, I was not flooded with gratitude for being on the trip or the, you know, the sights I got to see. But instead, I wanted to abort the mission, go home, uh, back to familiarity, family, friends, and sleeping in until noon in the summertime. Uh, now, in the middle of this, I thought, maybe if I can accidentally kind of like hit a rock or something and like go off the road a little bit, not to like seriously hurt myself, but just to like scuff myself up enough to where people wouldn't judge me if I got in the support wagon, right? Um, maybe that'd be a good idea, right? That thought came into my mind. Maybe you ran cross country, you know, you know what I'm saying. Um, now, in the, in the middle of that difficult circumstance that I found myself in, I, I thought about desires that I would have normally seen as unacceptable, but in this situation, they were all of a sudden preferable to what I was going through, right? And the reason I tell you that is because, again, we're talking about temptation. Here we are in the, I think, fifth week, right, of classes. Is that where we're in? All right, cool. <laughs> all right, cool, 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 cool. We're here in the fifth week of classes, and I want to ask you, have you been tempted yet? Have you found yourself in environments that pull you in directions that you know you should not go? Maybe with friends, maybe by yourself. Have you found yourself at the end of a familiar path of sin that you were so determined not to go down? We've all been there, and tonight we're going to see how James encourages us in the midst of our temptation. Now, before we actually read the passage tonight, I want to point out that James talks about trials first, and then he immediately talks about temptation. And I think this is important, because I think he's telling us that when trials come, and they will come, temptation will never be far behind. 
Let me give you an example. If I asked your opinion, I'm sure you'd agree that drinking an entire bottle of whiskey as fast as you can is not a healthy activity, right? We would all agree. But if someone you love dies, or maybe a relationship ends, or you lose a job, or you fail a class, all of a sudden, it doesn't sound so bad, right? And it might even sound preferable to your current situation. When we find ourselves in the midst of something difficult, thoughts will enter our minds that will claim to offer reprieve from the pain that we're in. But if we indulge them, these thoughts will lead us to sin and death, as we will see uh, here in a a minute. But as a prereq for talking about temptation, I want us to understand that with every trial comes the opportunity for temptation. So tonight, we're going to look in depth at where temptation comes from. These are my three points. Ready? Where does temptation come from? Where will it lead us? And how can we break the cycle? And one more thing to say is that my intent here is not to cause shame for anybody, right? We all struggle with a variety of things in the same way. So I hope that you don't leave here feeling that way. I hope you leave here feeling encouraged to battle your temptation and sin more effectively. So let's read the passage and then we'll jump in. Here we go. This is James uh, chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. When tempted... No one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So, where does temptation come from? Have you ever asked this question, right? James starts by addressing this question with an answer that we may not like. He tells us that our temptation doesn't come from God, right? And maybe we've felt this way, like God is responsible for our response to hardships. I think at one time or another, we've all asked the question, If God didn't want me to act this way, why would he give me this desire? Why would he put me in this situation? And that's a valid question. I've been there. But I would say, temptation is not from God, but testing is from God. In other words, God will not tempt us, but he will test us. Now, for the sake of clarity, I want to define these two words. Um, Temptation I look these up, you can do the same. Temptation is the desire to do something, especially something wrong or unwise. Whereas testing means to reveal a person's capabilities by putting them under strain. The difference is small, but it's hugely important. A temptation is designed to entice us to fail or to choose the wrong option. A test, on the other hand, is designed to be an opportunity for what is inside of us to naturally come out. And you can see this through the Bible, the entire thing. But I think that the best example is found right at the beginning. God placed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil right in Adam and Eve's front yard and told them not to eat of it. That sounds like a trial. That sounds like a hardship, right? But what God did not do is slither up next to them and say, hey, are you hungry? You should, uh, you know, that tree over there looks really good. You should go get yourself, it's an, you know, we say apple, but it wasn't an apple. It just says it's a fruit. But anyway... God doesn't do that, right? God will not tempt you 
But will God allow you to walk through hard situations in order to see what's truly in your heart? Yes, absolutely yes. Deuteronomy tells us that God led his people into the wilderness for 40 years in order to see what was in their hearts. God will allow us to endure hardships, just like Ben was talking about last week, right, with trials. God will allow us to endure hardships in order to see what naturally flows out of us, not to entice us to fail. Right? Instead of pointing to God as the source of temptation, James will point to something else entirely. And a lot of us might instinctually point to the devil, right? Like, that makes sense. And, and it's not necessarily wrong. James will mention the devil later on in this letter, but he doesn't say anything about our spiritual enemy here. What does he say, right? And I, this is how it's phrased in the ESV, which I love. It says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Temptation is not an attack from the outside. It arises from within us. And the reason I love the ESV version is because of that word lure, right? It's fishing imagery. Who fishes in here? Who's a fisherman? Yeah, a little bit? Okay. I think it's boring, but I go with friends and they make it fun, you know? Um, But I love the imagery, right? Because what do you do when you fish? You put a lure on the hook. And the goal is that you want that fish to get distracted to move towards the bait and to take a big old bite without ever seeing your hook, right? Temptation works the same way for us. When Ben Stewart preached on this section of James, and I love to quote Ben Stewart, it's like a thing I do every time, uh, he said, you want to grab the mind's attention, you want to stir the heart's affection so that that fish will enact the will, right? And again, This is what happens inside of us. In that example, right, the fisherman, he wants to grab that fish's attention. Ooh, what's that, a shiny thingy that's, you know, it's like, oh, that's distracting, right? And then not only that, but he wants that fish to think, ooh, that's a meal and I want to go get it now. And once he's got him, the fish takes a willful step, chomps down on that bait, and never sees the hook. This is how temptation works. It grabs our attention It stirs our affection so that we take an active, willful step away from what we know to be right. And did you notice that James says, um, but each person is tempted and lured when he is enticed by his own desire. Right? This process is tailor-made for you. We all have inclinations and proclivities within us that we have a weakness towards. For some of us, it's substance abuse. For others, the desire for approval, and still for others, it may be lustful desires. I will say this loud and clear. Some of the best knowledge you can have is what your desires are, what your temptations are, and where they come from. So, where does temptation come from? James says that it's not from God, it's from us. It's from us. So, Let's talk about where temptation leads us. Where is it going? The next verse says this. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when it is full grown, gives birth to death. This is the pattern of temptation every single time. When temptation grabs our attention and stirs our affection, we enact our will and sin is born. Now, this may seem inconsequential to some of you, right? What's the big deal with sin? Well, in the, in the Hebrew, right, the sin is translated, as, it comes from a word that means to miss the mark. Essentially, there's a standard, and we have missed it. And some of you, that still may not mean a, mean a ton, and I get that. But look where James goes next. He says, when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. 
if I indulge in my temptation here, sin is born. And left unchecked, when sin grows up, she has a baby named death. (laughs) So when I indulge my sin here, what I'm getting is death. Temptation, death. Temptation goes to death. Okay, that's what, that's what James is trying to get us to see. And he's very intentional with this birth imagery, right? It's kind of strange, but think about it. If I said, oh, yeah, so-and-so, she had a baby and it has hair on it, or I don't know, what the normal baby, right? A baby was born. Unless you hate babies, what's your reaction? You're going to be like, oh, congratulations, I'm so, you know. It, when humans are born... We, we get excited, we are joyful, because birth was designed to be a beautiful, wonderful thing uh, that retells how God created us. But look how James uses it, right? He flips it on his head, and it's to get our attention. Instead of birth leading to life, like it normally does, he uses this example and says that sin leads to ultimately death. This is a strange play on metaphor, and it's meant to jar us and grab our attention. James wants us to see that instead of bringing abundant life, temptation will bring sin, and sin will bring death. Paul says it this way in Romans uh, 6.23. He says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think Paul, just like James, wants us to look downstream at where our desires will take us so that through the Holy Spirit, we will be able to resist temptation when it's still just a desire within us. All right, think about it this way. If I gave you the choice, well, sorry, if I told you you had to fight a lion, okay, I'm gonna put you in a thing and you gotta fight a lion. But I said you could either fight a baby lion, like a Simba, you know, cute little lion, or like, you know, big Mufasa lion. Ooh, say it again. Anyway, Mufasa, right? Like, we would all choose the baby lion, right? And the reason is, Because although there's still a chance that we could lose that fight, we have a much better shot of fighting it when it's smaller and not as powerful. And this is, again, the same with our temptation. If we can isolate our temptation early on and fight it with scripture, prayer, accountability, and the knowledge of where it will lead us, we will be less and less likely to get on board with temptation early. Uh, I've been watching a TV show called The West Wing, which has no right being as good as it is, but it's so freaking good. Um, and there's an episode where, uh, you know, I just felt like uh, the tendency for indulging temptation was really uh, shown clearly. Um, essentially, the scene that I, that I was going to show, but I'm not going to because it's too long, but uh, just trust me, it's very good. Essentially, the chief of staff for the president is, it's been leaked that he is a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. And they figure out who leaked the information and they fire her and he wants to have a conversation with her before she leaves and she comes in and they're having this conversation and she asks him if he, if he can't have a drink still, even though he's been sober for six years. And I love what he said. The, the quote is, he says, the problem is, is that I don't want a drink. I want 10, right? I don't want one drink, I want 10. He knows that within himself, there is a destructive desire that if he indulges it, he will not be able to stop. Uh, In Alcoholics Anonymous, actually, one of the things that they say is to think through the drink. Essentially, know that if you start with one, you'll be less and less likely to resist the temptation of another and another and another. So if you resist the first one, you can just avoid the whole catastrophe, right? 
If we know where temptation will lead us, we can get strategic about how to fight it early on before it grows into sin and eventual death. Now, I could talk a lot more about practical tips with fighting temptation that I've learned from my own struggles. So if you, if you want to know more about that, please ask me afterwards, and I would love to point you in the direction of some really great resources. Um, but for the sake of time, we're going to move on. So we know where temptation comes from, not from God, from us. And we know where it leads us into sin and eventual death. But now I want to talk about how do we break the cycle? How do we get out of this toxic cycle? And I think the answer lies in the next few verses. The, the next few verses. James says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So what is James saying here, right? I think he's saying that at the root of temptation is not a knowledge problem. It's a deception problem. He's saying that it's not like we think drinking an entire six-pack is like super healthy for us, right? Or that dating seven people at once is a really effective strategy to finding a spouse, right? Or that, that humiliating others, talking behind their back is a genuinely kind thing to do, right? We're not like convinced, convinced of these as if they are true. We believe a lie. And it's that we believe the lie that God is not a good dad and that he's holding out on us and that we better go try to find satisfaction some other place because he won't give it to us, right? That's the lie that Adam and Eve believed in the garden and it's the lie that we believe when we take our hunger for what only God can provide to the broken world that we live in. Uh, in Jeremiah 2, God speaks through Jeremiah and says this about his people, the Israelites. He says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. God says that his people have abandoned him, the true source of life, but not only that, they've made cisterns, which are, they're essentially for storing water in, in the ancient world, um, but these cisterns can't even hold water effectively. So, so God's people have abandoned God and they've run to the cheap imitations of his love that they found in the world. And we do the same thing all the time. We constantly forget that God is good and we believe the lie that he's holding out on us or that he doesn't really love us. And this is the catalyst that drives us into cycles of addiction as we attempt to find the satisfaction that only God can give. And James, again, we said it at the beginning of the series, he is here to convict us, challenge us, and encourage us. He is here to tear this mindset down. He implores us, do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Like I said, James knows that we don't have a knowledge problem. We have a deception problem, right? Um, we believe the lie that God is not good and that he doesn't care, and as a result, we have traveled down many broken roads desperately searching for the love that only he can give us. Right, and then James goes on and says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. Unlike his creation, God does not change. He will not say one thing and mean another. 
Unlike his creation, he will not lie. He will not cheat. He will not deceive. He is not holding out on you. He is a good dad. And he delights to give gifts to his kids. Jesus actually says this in Matthew 7. He says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Again, I could talk for a long, long time up here about practical strategies to fight sin, to fight temptation, and those are all very valuable. But I think what really matters is that we believe who God is, who he says he is. Right? James is telling us that breaking the cycle of temptation and sin begins with the right view of God's character. If we don't approach God as the loving and kind father that he is, we will take that inner need we have for his love to the broken cisterns of this world. And some of us doubt this. And I can understand that, right? You may be thinking, ah, oh, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've been through. And I can understand it, right? But would you like to know how I know for sure that God has extended an invitation to us to live in right relationship with him? He sent his son Jesus to die on a cross that we deserved so that we can have abundant life and right relationship with God. If someone gave their life in order for you to live, would you doubt how they feel about you? If the key to breaking the cycle of temptation is a right understanding of God, and a a right understanding of God begins with a good understanding of the gospel, then here's the gospel, right? This is Paul in Ephesians talking about the gospel. He says, As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works in which God prepared in advance for us to do. When we believe that Jesus really loved his creation enough to lay down his own life for our sin and that this sacrifice has restored our relationship with God, our identity is fundamentally changed. Something, I've, something that we have been repeating through this series uh, is that your identity determines your activity, right? If you would say you're a Christian, does your identity determine your activity? Does your identity as a new child of God through the work of Jesus on the cross, determine how you live and act in your everyday life. I think this is what James is pointing to as he finishes this section. He says, He, as in God, chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. God chose to give us new birth through the gospel. Not because he had to, but because he wanted to. God made a way for us to be made right with him of his own volition. Not because of anything we've done, 
but because of who he is. So I ask you again, if you would say you're a Christian, does your identity determine your activity? I challenge you to dwell on the gospel this week, right? Sit in it. Think about it when you're going to class. Think about it when you're getting out of class, when you're on the bus, when you're going to work, when you're hanging with friends. Dwell on the fact that Jesus loved this world enough to come and give his life for us. Does the knowledge that God gave the greatest gift to us empower you to refuse the lesser temptations of this world? Breaking the cycle of temptation begins with understanding the true heart of God. He is a good dad. Every good and perfect gift comes from him and you can rest in his love for you through remembering and dwelling on the sacrifice that Jesus has made. Uh, I'm gonna invite the band. Y'all can come on up. Um, as I challenge you to consider the role that temptation plays in your life this week, right? Get strategic. Again, think about the things that you think about. Be a student of yourself and ask good questions. What are you most tempted by? How do you indulge your temptation? Where does it happen? How can you eliminate that temptation before it grows in to sin and death? If you want more resources, like I said, uh, if you want more information, if you want to maybe get hooked up with a mentor that um, can help you battle your sin, please fight, or uh, don't fight with me. Uh, talk with me. Talk with me after the service, and I would love to help get you connected. Our whole staff would love that. We want to help you as much as we can. Um, ultimately, Christians in the room, does your identity determine your activity? If you have any questions about anything I said, again, or if you want to talk more after this uh, about what it truly means to follow Jesus, please talk to me after this, and I would love to help answer any questions. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll get back to worshiping to close the night. Jesus, thank you um, for your sacrifice, uh, for who you are and what you've done for us. Um, God, I pray that you will empower us to dwell on your sacrifice this week and that it would give us the strength to refuse the lesser temptations that this world offers. I pray that we would go to the, to the fountain of living water that is Jesus Christ instead of turning to the broken cisterns of this world. God, give us strength, give us perseverance, and help us to fight well this week. It is in your name that I pray. Amen.